For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and ACLU Oklahoma Executive Director Ryan Kiesel. Oklahomans are voting on five state questions on November 6th, and over the next few weeks, I wanted to get your thoughts on these measures. This week, we are looking at state question 800, creating the Oklahoma Vision Fund and putting away a portion of gross production taxes as another savings account apart from the rainy day fund. Neva, Supporters say this helps in the event of a downturn similar to the one we've had in the past few years. And, and I think this is the give and take. The state chamber's for it. The Oklahoma State School Boards Association is against it. It's really, uh, do we do we put do we put money into a fund like this, and then where does it go? And I think that's the that's the point of. Uh, uh, do we do we have this? Uh, what what is it anticipated of twenty to thirty five million dollars uh, once it finally rolls into place uh, that can go into the general fund? And I think the critics, uh, school board association, and others say uh, we would rather not have it to kind of just dropped into this type of a fund. But obviously, they would like uh, clear and total access to those kind of funds uh, going directed to education. So um, it will be interesting to see. This is a this is a state question that hasn't gotten a lot of attention, hasn't gotten very much really editorial traction on either side, fairly limited. Um, and so it will be, uh, it, I think it will be very interesting to see if the voters really uh, key in on it at, at the uh, kind of at the last minute and where, where it goes. Because at this point, I don't uh, I don't hear any real speculation one way or the other well, as to how, how it will uh, land. Any kind of polling or like that. Ryan, what do you think? Well, it's pretty complicated. And, and even legislators that were considering it, I think, um, if you ask them to fully explain what this looks like in practice, I don't think that they could. The enabling legislation that was passed after this, that the legislature passed after this, Governor Fallon vetoed it and said that there were problems with that and that among those problems was that part of this fund could go to relieve municipal and county debt indebtedness. And she said the government, the state government shouldn't be relieving the debt of uh, of county and, and local governments that the state itself didn't incur. Um you know, I, I, you know, Senator John Sparks has been from Norman, one of the real champions of this, and re- has built a career in the legislature off of trying to move the legislature's reliance on revenue from the oil and gas community. Um, and, <clears throat> and I think that that's laudable. I think that timing on this is is difficult because it would cut into the taxes that were just passed on gross production uh, that were dedicated to education. So we're going to take those new tax revenues and take a portion of that off and go into this reserve fund. Um, but I'm with Neva. I, I think that it's it's interesting. You know, the Tulsa editorial board came out against it, but even that, you know, we, we've seen the chamber, though they're going to engage their members to be for it. Most voters are going to walk in, and I think the first time they're going to see this is when they walk into that ballot right. box and they read this ballot language. And it's going to be interesting whether or not they tr- – because I think uh, what, what it might ultimately come down to is whether or not they trust the legislature. Because if they don't understand it, they're going to have to have some deference to the legislature, both in what the legislature's put in front of them and then moving forward. There's a big question as to how the legislature would use this money. And it may come down to how voters feel about trusting the legislature uh, and how they ultimately cast or, their ballot. Or it may come down to something akin to the rainy day fund when it was uh, when it was established, mm-hmm. where the voters uh, looked at it and I think said anything we can do to to segment <clears throat> some of some of these uh, st- dollars into a fund where where it is there for the rainy day, it is there for stipulated purposes, the three or four that were established, uh, in the same vein as this uh, vision fund has been. Uh, structured, then they may say, "Well, more of that is probably better than just uh, than just uh, leaving it the way it is." And uh, I, I think that I think that 
the arcane language, which I think many people say is uh, even on either side would <laughs> would agree is, is part of the problem in this, yeah. uh, and the complexity, just like you said, Ryan. I mean, uh, this is uh, one of those instances where it's a relatively good idea, I think, but whether they crafted it completely uh, in yeah. a in a way that really uh, solves problems, because uh, the governor's veto is is a perfect illustration, raising the very points that you just uh, you just outlined. Um, that uh, may give pause if that information gets out there in a significant way. And I think that's the real question is, will there be any real significant discussion on this state question at all? And and one of the differences between this vision fund and the rainy day fund and and the, well, and the other two other reserve funds that we have is that the restrictions there, I think, are greater on on when the legislature can tap into those. You know, this creates a dedicated source of revenue that would immediately go into the general revenue fund at some point for the legislature to use. Ostensibly, they could use that for education. They could also use it for private prison bed contract. Who knows? I mean, so, <clears throat> I think that there's a bigger question there, but again, does that really come out in the language? Is that can you really, as a voter, look at the language and discern this is different than these other two? There's also been a lot of talk over the last several years that we have uh, that we've had too many off the top um, uh, set asides of revenue that come into the state, so that when the legislature sits down at the beginning of the legislative session, even though we have certified revenues at you know, however many billion. You have a huge chunk of that that's already set aside for top. rainy day fund or transportation or whatever that municipal bond uh, uh, servicing, whatever that looks like. There's it's already off the top, so the legislature already starts off in somewhat of a hole. This is a much smaller portion than a lot of those, but it's still part of that part of that conversation. The Oklahoma Public Employees Association is suing the State Department of Health over the layoffs of more than 150 employees a year. The a year ago, sorry, the OPEA says the former employees were wrongfully terminated, forced to resign or take early retirement by the department. It's asking for three million dollars in compensation. Ryan, does the OPEA have a case here? Well, the OPEA's case right now is that, and, and they've said it out front, is that they hope that this doesn't ever make its way to a, de- a decision before a court. Um, I think that this is part of a process to force uh, the state of Oklahoma to reckon with what it has done. And uh, I think that the, the $3 million three million in damages that, you know, if, they're, if they were successful in the lawsuit would be given to uh, the laid off employees on a basis of, you know, how much each one was actually hurt. There's a, there's a calculation that sure. they've got there um, as to who would receive what. I think OPEA, and I don't even have to say think, because what they've said is they don't want it to come to that. I think that what they want is to have a conversation about getting these folks plugged back into their jobs um, and and restoring the services that they were providing to the people of Oklahoma before they were laid off. And I think that they were, they were everybody can agree that you know, the layoffs were uh, inappropriate. You know, we, knew, we now know that they didn't have to go. Um, and so the decision of whether to bring them back or not is, is ultimately a political decision because mm-hmm. we know that the money is there and there's a decision to be made about whether or not they want to return those folks to those jobs. Neva. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting. You're right, Ryan. And this basically is the start point of saying, look, we intend to sue. You have 90 days to basically we can come to the table and try to work this out and avoid that. And I think I think that is the clear intent. It's 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 uh, bringing every uh, bringing everyone to the table and determining whether they can they can really resolve this issue in an amicable way. And when we would hope that that would happen. I mean, when you have a grand jury report released in May, 
say that said the shortfall never existed. And then you have the instance where uh, the OPEA, the, one of their contentions was that these uh, these terminations uh, and layoffs were based on false pretense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got a muddy, messy situation uh, that now involves, um, I think the total number was 191, I think. Yeah, I think some of them have been but, but a number of those folks have moved on, uh, and so you've really got about a, probably um, 60, something like that, uh, of, of those folks. So it's a manageable number. We're not talking about these massive mm-hmm. thousands right. of, of folks being laid off. It's a, it's a very, uh, very difficult situation that, frankly, was born out of a big mess that, that has been uh, at the forefront of uh, uh, Oklahomans having to read about and hear about for months now. So I, I would hope that they could get through this and before the end of the year get it resolved so that uh, uh, that they can basically start with a clean slate uh, with mm-hmm. the changing of the guard and the new administration mm-hmm. and folks coming in early next year. Speaking of coming in next year, a couple of endorsements for gubernatorial candidates came down late last week. Republican Kevin Stitt got the backing of his primary and runoff rival Mick Cornett. Democrat Drew Edmondson got the support of the Oklahoma Education Association. Neva, let's start with Cornett supporting Stitt. Did this surprise you? It didn't really. I think this is normal in in, uh, political campaigns. As hard fought as they are and as difficult as it is sometimes to be able to kind of... uh, uh, extend out and, and make that endorsement to, to the hard-fought foe, I think the reality is, just like um, Mick Cornett stated, is that uh, that uh, Kevin Stitt is the right candidate to uh, move Oklahoma forward, and, and for all of the reasons that he really was running for the uh, office of governor as well. I mean, that it, it's time to, uh, it's time to really uh, correct the issues that are here in the state that we all know and define the kind of uh, strong and trustworthy leadership that can unify folks and, and get the job done. So I, I think that uh, I applaud uh, Mick Cornett for making the endorsement, for saying he is uh, supportive. I think that uh, that sends a strong signal to his folks that uh, it's time from a party standpoint and from a unifying standpoint behind the candidate to uh, move forward. Ryan, how big of a deal is that in- endorsement? You know, I think that I don't know that it's that big of a deal. I don't know that, that Cornette commands a huge respect among the, among the GOP base. I think that it was a big surprise for a lot of folks that he decided to run as a Republican and, and not as an independent. He'd governed as mayor. And his legacy right now, I think, is, is really in doubt. Because as, as mayor, uh, Mayor Cornette led by bringing multiple parties together. He, he was a real unifier. He, he transcended party politics in a lot of ways. And whenever he got into that gubernatorial race, I think a lot of his moderate and dem- even liberal Democratic supporters that had supported him as mayor were surprised to see him regress into this partisan candidate who embraced uh, all sorts of things, including you know, Trump immigration policy, all of these things that seemed uh, totally out of left field or maybe right field <laughs> for, <clears throat> for Mayor Cornette and what they thought of him. And, uh, you know, now again, he's, he's done that same thing. He's, he's, I think reflexively and in a partisan way supported the, the GOP ticket just as a matter of course. Uh, I think if you looked at Cornette's policies as mayor and where he wanted to take Oklahoma city, 
it's much more in line with where Drew Edmondson wants to take the state as governor. Well, and so let's get to Drew Edmondson. I uh, got the endorsement of the Oklahoma Education. It's the largest uh, <clears throat> teachers union uh, in the state. Uh, how big of a deal is that? Ryan? Well, I, I think it's a huge deal. I mean, uh, OEA has proved itself a formidable force. We, we saw a lot of the power of teachers at the ballot box during the primary and the runoffs when a lot of incumbents were unseated. I, I think we can dig into those races and see you know, local reasons why those local politicians lost. But I think the the big narrative and in a statewide race, these big narratives count. The big narrative is, is that they were anti-education. And uh, governor, uh, if, if Stitt were governor of the, of the state of Oklahoma, you know, he's he's run away from Mary Fallon's endorsement. And, and you know, rightly so. I mean, I, I understand the 17 percent approval rating. I, I could I'd want to run away from that, too. But he hasn't done a lot to distinguish himself from Governor Fallon with one exception. The one way that he has distinguished himself from Governor Fallon is that he said that he would have vetoed the compromise budget bill that put uh, millions of dollars of new revenue into education. So in that regard, he was he would be even worse for education mm-hmm. than Mary Fallon has been. So it doesn't make any surprise to me. Maybe the, the bigger surprise and, and a more telling one is that he was asked to name his favorite teacher from high school, and then when the frontier contacted that, the frontier contacted that uh, that teacher. My understanding is, is that teacher said that they're voting for Drew Edmondson. Oh, <laughs> what did you think about this endorsement? Uh, again, it's the largest one, uh, union of teachers. I, I think I think endorsements matter particularly to the group, yeah. uh, to the, the the group's membership. Uh, so uh, to say that the uh, Cornette endorsement doesn't help uh, Stitt, I think is incorrect. I think it does. The OEA endorsement for Edmondson. I mean, historically, the OEA has supported more Democratic candidates and in, in uh, not only statewide races but at the local level. That had been trending differently with a, with a Republican-dominated legislature and and uh, a Republican governor in office. That for the last eight years certainly had been a different trend that was going on. So it'll be interesting to see what the relationship. And, and how effective they can be at the legislature if there is a governor stead and if there is a strongly controlled Republican legislature uh, next year, you know how will that how will that affect them as as this large association from the education standpoint? Right, and that's where it gets to is is that uh, Cornette's not going to go out to his, his his supporters and say hey make sure you vote for these, but the Oklahoma Education Association is going to go out to its members and well, say hey even, even if Cornette sure does do that he doesn't have the the cadre of folks that are going to go out around the state in key precincts and deliver votes, uh, go to doors, drag people to the polls. And, you know, I think that, you know, Neva was talking about this idea of, of, you know, where OEA would be or really where the state would be if we continue with one party rule. And, you know, I think Oklahomans and one of the one of the real advantages that Drew Edmondson has right now is that Oklahomans have experienced one party rule now for uh, almost a decade and uh, have, have really seen that, even in those instances where they've agreed with the Republican Party, not having any sort of checks or the only checks being these internal behind the scenes closed door checks uh, is not the way government should work. And I think that if Oklahoma voters are savvy enough to realize there's going to be a Republican majority legislature after the November elections, Democrats may make some gains, but the Republicans are still going to have those majorities. And then if they want to have a check in the state of Oklahoma uh, on the legislature, the only way to do that is to elect Drew Edmondson as governor. The Cherokee Nation slams U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren after she got a DNA test to prove she has Native American heritage. This came after getting nicknamed Pocahontas by President Trump and after he said he would give a million dollars to charity to see if she took the test. Neva, what did you think about this reaction from from a Democratic former Democratic lawmaker, well, Chuck Hoskins? I, I thought well, the re- I thought well, the rebuke just was a, just a, a correction. It's it's Chuck Hoskins' son. 
is the Secretary of State. Oh, it wasn't the same Chuck Hoskins. Yeah, yeah so it's Chuck Hoskins Jr. He's uh, the oh, Secretary of State for the Cherokee See, Nation. I never knew somebody should have explained <laughs> yeah. that to now, me. Now, Chuck, Hos- I just Chuck, heard him Chuck Hoskins <laughs> is, is, is still a member of the cabinet of the Cherokee Nation. Uh, but, but that's not the Chuck Hoskins that was different, on NPR. Different Chuck Hoskins. Interesting. Okay, we learned something. That's so. what okay, well, I do, think, I do think Monday's rebuke was really uh, fairly striking. Uh, it's, it's a rarity to see that strong a statement mm-hmm. made, uh, uh, whether it's a whether it's uh, from a tribal leader or anyone, and I think looking at uh, looking at it uh, being a direct confrontation with Elizabeth Warren, someone who's widely being speculated as a 2020 presidential candidate, the fact that that she has tried to embrace and and hold on to this uh, uh, to this idea of Nat- Native American heritage, and then to have it slammed so strongly mm-hmm. uh, the other direction, I think this is something that'll haunt her now politically on the campaign trail if she if she moves forward, and it'll be interesting to see how uh, as as it gets more attention and traction, uh, how that really uh, how that really affects the b- potential voters looking at her as a serious candidate. And although uh, Chuck Hoskins Jr. Uh, came out against this, I don't remember seeing Chuck Hoskins Jr. coming out when Trump was saying Pocahontas and saying all the other well, things that he so said. Well, so Chief Bill John Baker did. Um, so the chief of the Cherokee Nation, uh, Bill John Baker, did come to Senator Warren's defense whenever Trump on the campaign trail began this you know very racist attack towards Elizabeth Warren at that time. And uh, Bill John Baker said, you know, he was, he was grateful uh, for Elizabeth Warren saying that she had some kinship with indigenous people. Um, but he said that, you know, she is not at that point, she wasn't claiming that she was a member of the Cherokee nation. She wasn't a member of a tribe. Um, and he said, you know, I wish more people in government felt like they had some sort of a connection to the native peoples of the United States of America. And um, so he came to her defense at that point. Now, what she did this week was just a, a regrettable era of the umpteenth degree. And I woke up that morning and saw the, the email from her, you know, touting this and this video and this whole thing. And I'm thinking, how do you think that this is a good idea? And, and it, it really makes a mockery of what it means to be a member of a tribe. You know, tribal membership, tribal citizenship uh, is not something that you can determine by going to 23andMe.com. And, it, right. that is, and, and it undermines the sovereignty of these nations. These nations get to decide who is and who is not a member of those tribes. Right. And you, know, you don't get to do that through a DNA test. But she never claimed <clears throat> that she was actually, she said she might have Cherokee hair. She, all she was doing was proving that she had some kind one of One one-thousandth of something percent which, is, which, is, I think that it's laughable. I think that, I think that if she were really sincere about this, um, you know, the first thing that she would have done would have been to continue to have a conversation with the Cherokee Nation. You know, rather than to have this public fight with the Cherokee Nation and have Chuck Hoskin Jr., who I think was in, entirely right in his condemnation of what she's done and what she's alleging, he should have, she should have called Chief Baker uh, or Secretary of State uh, Chuck Hoskin Jr. and said, you know, what, how can I respond to this? I want to do this in a way that's respectful to the tribe. I want to do this in a, a way that's respectful to the nation and to tribal sovereignty and to advance the, the issues that the, the people mm-hmm. of, uh, of tribes around the country are facing. I think that she really believes that. I think that she's made a huge misstep here, and it's going to be very difficult for her to 
have that productive conversation. Now, I hope that she still will, though. I think that it's not too late. I, I think that if she reached out to Chief Bill John Baker right now and said, I messed up, I stepped in it, yeah, and, you know, I want to I make amends for this. Right. Uh, and Hoskins did actually say that Trump should not have also said about the Pocahontas. Right, right, yeah. right. Treat it, treat, everyone is kind of saying these things, and they're forgetting that there are indigenous people who are, are trapped in the middle of this. Well, and, and, and the statement was so strong. I mean, when, when you say that it makes a mockery not only of the DNA tests and the legitimate uses, but you go on to say that it dishonors legitimate uh, uh, tribal legitimate tribal governments and their citizens. I mean, those are strong statements that don't go away very easily. Yes, I mean, if if you want to stay in uh, uh, if you want to stay in the political fray and you want to move forward with some national campaign, you certainly are going to have to address it and put the, put this down as best as possible. But it's there to stay. And unfortunately, you're right. I mean, for someone to make this type of uh, just colossal mis- miscue and misfire, um, it really raises a lot of other questions, and I think uh, uh, I think legitimately so. Especially in these southwestern states, where well, it means a lot. Well, and and just I, you know, I I tried to imagine, you know, what kind of a meeting was happening in the, in the Elizabeth Warren because ostensibly this is happening well, in the context of a U.S. Senate campaign. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't but, happening in Oklahoma. Well, and you know, how how is it that there's not a single person in that room who says this is not this is not Has respectful. This is, this is right, disrespectful. Right, right. Raise all the issues all that, the, that, yeah. that ultimately were what, uh, you what know, were, what were in the release. And you know, so I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I hope that, I hope that there can be a productive conversation out of this. Ultimately, um, you know, I have a lot more faith that Senator Warren can thoughtfully respond to this in a way that we haven't seen out of, of Donald Trump. I mean, the Donald interesting Trump's thing, though, is Pocahontas w- comments, all that are are racist. I mean, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts mm-hmm. about it. I mean, there are racist attacks meant to uh, attack a political opponent and to to gin up some of his base. But at at the end of the day, Senator Warren should have known better yeah. than to do this. And I, I'm hoping that but she's from a political standpoint. Here. We're a week into this of uh, having taken place and, and yet seeing nothing out of Senator Warren. So that, mm-hmm. that raises another big question is how long and why, why so long before there's some really uh, attempt, really serious attempt to try to rectify the yeah. situation. And, and timing's a real question here as well. Why did she do this a few weeks before the midterm elections? I mean, she's got a U.S. Senate race in Massachusetts that she's most likely going to win. And, you know, if she wants to begin, I mean, she's already started this idea of a presidential campaign. I don't think she's probably the least doubtful of any of the Democratic contenders as to whether or not they're going to get into the presidential race for 2020. But if if she really wanted to have this conversation, why not have this conversation the week after the midterms? Why begin this conversation today? That. There's just so many logistical and strategic misfires here, uh, not the least of which is that you know she made a, a, a real uh, a real mockery and um, uh, and added real insult to the people of the Cherokee Nation and other tribes in the state of Oklahoma and around the country. Very quickly, in what appears to be a modern day equivalent to a call for a duel, <laughs> Oklahoma Congressman Mark Wayne Mullen is challenging the attorney for Stormy Daniels, Michael Avenatti, to a mixed martial arts fight. The challenge comes after a week after Avenatti challenged Donald Trump Jr. to an MMA fight. Neva, what do you think of the three-term congressman making this call? 
Well, even <laughs> just checked her watch. <laughs> How quickly can I answer this question? Well, well uh, you know, uh, publicity stunts, I mean, that they go to a new level. I mean, both uh, in this instance, I, I think the, uh, the, the th- throwing it out there is a possibility. I, frankly, I think Mark Wayne Mullen, I mean, uh, you would have to, here's a guy who wrestled in college, wrestled in high school, someone who has uh, uh, been an MMA um, uh, fighter in the past to some degree i mean he he would be formidable and it certainly would from a charity standpoint i guess you could say it would be an opportunity for some charity to benefit from a lot of money being raised i don't think it goes anywhere but it certainly uh in, in this uh in this closing stretch of the political season at least it, everybody can step back and uh, uh smile and and take note and ryan <laughs> you know who, who said chivalry's dead <laughs> you come into the defense of donald jr i mean that's that's just real cute i like that uh, you know it's 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 real sweet of him to to come to his defense like that i you know it's i i think that um uh if if mark wayne mullen wants to to hang up his his congressional belt uh and and pick up his mma belt and and open up that second district to uh some representation that we can be proud of again <laughs> I, all 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 power to him you know I, I have a lot more confidence in his ability in the mma ring I, than I, I do in congress well i think congressman mullen uh, i i think uh, i think we'll expect to see him back next year in congress and uh uh this will just be one of those things that frankly the voters in his district uh, may pl- might may find a a pleasant change in just uh, the conversation from some of the stuff that's going on this political well, season it, it's getting a little chilly outside so you know we we start to it, we're getting close to Festivus, and you know this just is another feats of strength. <laughs> so we're going to have the midterms, which are the airing of grievances. So maybe after this, Mark Wayne Mullen can engage in the feats of strength with uh, with Almanetti. <laughs> uh, Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the ACLU, KOSU, its staff, or management.